0: It's Monday, August 26th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The G7 summit wrapped up today. We'll connect the dots on three big issues the world leaders tried to address and what happens next. Then, President Trump has a new 2020 challenger from within his own party. Former Congressman Joe Walsh. will give you the details. And finally, we look at the legacy of tennis star Althea Gibson, who broke racial barriers and was honored today in New York. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated stories today are about the G7 meetings in France. G7 leaders worked all weekend. They did a lot of talking about a lot of issues. Now that everyone's on their way home, what happens now? Today we're going to break down where things stand on three big issues. Diplomatic talks with Iran, the U.S.-China trade war, and the Amazon wildfires. What's a meeting of world leaders without some surprises? This year's G7 meeting in the French resort town of Biarritz had two of them. And both had to do with Iran. First, a little background. President Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal last year and said, Unless Iran stopped a whole lot of behavior the U.S. didn't like, U.S. pressure, like sanctions, wouldn't stop. That's put G7 members Germany, France, and the U.K., which are all sticking with the nuclear deal, in a bind. If they keep trading with Iran, the U.S. could cut them off from working with big American banks. But if they side with Trump and cut business ties with Iran, the countries worry Iran will keep backing out of the deal and restart work on its nukes. So rock, meet hard place. That was the deal ahead of this weekend's meetings in France. Then on Sunday, a surprise guest rang doorbell: Iran's foreign minister Javad Zarif. Turns out, he'd been invited by French President Emmanuel Macron. The White House initially claimed that was a surprise, but Trump later said he was in on it. Macron and Trump gave a joint press conference this morning, where they revealed yet another surprise. Macron said he'd secretly been working to set up direct talks between the U.S. and Iran to lower tensions. And Macron, speaking through a translator, said he hoped a possible meeting between Trump and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani could happen really soon. At a given point in time, there will have to be a meeting between the American and the Iranian presidents. And I would wish that in coming weeks, such a meeting take place. Trump, standing right next to Macron, seemed to say, don't start printing the invites yet.
1: If the circumstances were correct or the right, I would certainly agree to that. But in the meantime, they have to be good players.
0: U.S. and Iranian leaders haven't met face-to-face since 1977. So a meeting between Trump and Rouhani would be a big deal. People figured Iran would come up this weekend, but the possibility of direct, high-level talks between the U.S. and Iran? That's new. The other big issue we're watching post-G7 is the U.S.-China trade war. China's not in the G7, but whenever the world's two largest economies go at it, that affects everyone. Today, Macron summed up what it's like watching the trade war go down from the sidelines. What's bad for the world economy is uncertainty. And the quicker an agreement is
1: arrived at, the quicker that uncertainty will dissipate.
0: So do we get any clarity from the G7 about whether the trade war will get worse or better? It's hard to say. On Friday, Trump called Chinese President Xi Jinping an enemy of the U.S. And it looked like the trade war was about to get a lot worse. Then on Sunday, Trump seemed to express regret over how bad things had gotten with China. But then the White House said, no, no, the president actually regrets not going tougher on China. And today, whiplash alert, Trump called President Xi a, quote, great leader and said trade talks would start very shortly. So which story are we supposed to believe? Today, a reporter pushed Trump to make up his mind on China, and the president seemed to claim his unpredictability was just his style.
1: You're talking about global economic instability. Right. I don't but, consider instability. But what the instability, that it but comes from is the back and forth and the changing. Statements from yourself so that. On, Sorry. You know, my, it's, it's the so way so I negotiate. So, my question is Is that a strategy? Is it a strategy to call President Xi an enemy one day and then say that yeah. relations are very. No, good the next no, no. Day and then, you know, I mean, it's gone back it's the way I negotiate. So it's done very well for me over the years.
0: So, file this one under no new news, which could mean more uncertainty. The kind Macron and global markets are getting more and more tired of. So, things with Iran could be changing, maybe. Things with the U.S. and China, still TBD. But we did see some concrete efforts out of the G7 when it comes to the Amazon. Today, Macron announced that G7 leaders have agreed to send $22 million to help countries like Brazil battle the fires there. Even as Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has railed against the G7, and Macron specifically, for interfering in the way he's responding to the crisis. Over the weekend, Bolsonaro sent military aircraft to dump water on the fires. It's not entirely clear what the 22 million will be used for, but a source tells Reuters it could help pay for firefighting planes. So what's the skim? G7 leaders had a lot of fires to put out over the weekend, and the actual fires in the Amazon maybe received the most concrete action. Macron says the US supports the idea to send 22 million, although President Trump skipped at least part of a meeting about it this morning. So some action, although maybe a drop in the bucket. On Trade with China, we got pretty much just talk. From Trump, who touted the benefits of his unpredictable negotiating style, despite concerns from other G7 countries about economic uncertainty. And on Iran, we got new ideas to fix an old problem. If Trump and Iran's president really do meet, that'd be historic. Even when President Obama negotiated the Iran nuclear deal, he didn't meet Iran's president in person. But his talks with North Korea have shown, face-to-face meetings don't always clear things up. The G7 is just one of many international squads that meet up every so often to talk things out. If you want to know more about what international groups like this do, we have a new guide up on our website at theskim.com guide. President Trump has a new 2020 challenger. And it's someone in the family, the Republican family. Former Illinois Congressman Joe Walsh says he's going to take on Trump in the Republican primary. That makes a total of three Republicans, including Trump, versus the million or so Democrats still in the race. Here's Walsh announcing his candidacy on ABC yesterday.
1: I'm running because he's unfit. Somebody needs to step up. And there needs to be an alternative.
0: So who is Joe Walsh? Walsh used to teach at a community college and worked in finance. In the 90s, he ran a couple of unsuccessful campaigns for Congress and the Illinois State House. Then in 2010, he rode the Tea Party wave to win a seat in Congress, representing a Chicago suburb. He won that race by less than 300 votes. And when the districts were redrawn the next year, he lost re-election by almost 10 percentage points. So Walsh was only in Congress for two years. During his brief time in Washington, Walsh was a critic of then-President Obama, both politically and personally. He was critical of Obama's spending policies, Tea Party style. And he also repeated Trump's claims that Obama wasn't born in the US. When he was voted out of office, Walsh started a new career in talk radio. And he became pretty controversial. He was kicked off the air in 2014 for using racial slurs. He called Obama a Muslim and a traitor. He tweeted that Black Lives Matter activists were punks who should watch out. This weekend, he apologized for some of those past comments. Here he is on ABC yesterday.
1: There were plenty of times where I went beyond the policy and the idea differences, and I got personal and I got hateful. I said some ugly things about President Obama that I regret. And, and it's difficult, but I think... I think that helped create Trump.
0: During the 2016 election, Walsh supported Trump. He even tweeted that he would grab his musket if Trump lost. Now he's calling Trump, quote, a danger to this country. Because he says Trump is siding with foreign dictators instead of the intelligence community. And that he's a liar and a bully. Talk about a change of heart. Here he is on his radio show last week.
1: People on both sides of the political divide in this country right now will get hurt if this kind of ugliness and incitement to violence continues.
0: Some people say Walsh's candidacy is just a publicity stunt and that he doesn't have a chance of winning the primary. Recent polls of Republican voters show Trump's approval rating in the 80s, so he's pretty popular among his base. But Walsh isn't the only one still giving it a shot. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld is also in the game. It's Women's Equality Day. 99 years ago today, the 19th Amendment officially became part of the U.S. Constitution and gave women in the U.S. the right to vote. The fight to get that amendment played out over the course of President Woodrow Wilson's time in office. The day before he was inaugurated in 1913, thousands of suffragists protested in D.C. In the years that followed, they picketed the White House, staged demonstrations, and a bunch ended up in jail. Wilson finally got on board, and legislators weren't far behind. Congress passed the 19th Amendment in 1919, and it was ratified the following year. But the fight for women's equality continued. Three years later, one leader of the suffragist movement, Alice Paul, wrote the Equal Rights Amendment. It read in part, quote, men and women should have equal rights throughout the United States, beyond just voting rights. Sounds simple, but the Equal Rights Amendment got a lot of pushback still does to this day. And it has yet to be ratified. We have more on women's suffrage and the 19th Amendment in our Notes feature on the Skim app. You can download it from your app store. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from the U.S. Open. The Grand Slam tennis tournament kicked off today at the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center in New York, and to mark the occasion, the U.S. Open unveiled a brand new statue of tennis legend Althea Gibson. In 1950, Gibson became the first African-American tennis player to compete in the U.S. National Championships, what's now known as the U.S. Open. She was also the first black player at Wimbledon, and the first black player to win a Grand Slam. Gibson had a pretty varied post-tennis career. She acted in a John Wayne movie, recorded a pop album, even ran for state senate in New Jersey. In 1964, she broke new ground again when she became the first Black woman to join the LPGA tour playing golf. Like we said, trailblazer. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.